Philippians 3, verse 4. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. Here's what Paul said. He said, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom, whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ." And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead." We're going to stop reading right there, but I want to call your attention back to verses 7 and 8 just for a moment before we pray. And I want you to note some key words in the text this morning. I want you to note the word gain. Do you see that? But what things were gain, G-A-I-N, gain. And then you see the word also in verse 7, you see the word loss. So you see the word gain and you see the word loss. That word loss shows up again twice in verse 8. Doubtless and I count all things but loss. Note that word. And then it's at the end of verse 8. I've suffered the loss of all things. So you have gain and you have loss. Also, I'd have you to note the, the word at the end of verse number 8. He said that I may win Christ. That word win, it just simply means gain is what it means. It's the opposite of a loss, right? A win. To win something is to gain something, to get something. So a win is a gain. So you have in this text here, Paul is talking about things that he's gained and things that he's lost. Gains and losses. Adding and subtracting. And so I want to preach on this thought this morning. Addition by subtraction. Addition by subtraction. And Let's look at the Word of God together and ponder on this thought. Father, we love you. We're thankful for the privilege we have to be in the house of God this morning. Lord, we're thankful for your Word. Lord, it helps us. It, uh, it uh, heals us. It uh, holds us. And Lord, we're thankful for the great Word of God, infallible. Lord, in our King James Bible, Lord, we're thankful for that. Thankful for this text that we have in front of us. Lord, I pray that you would open it up to us. Lord, I pray that we would be able to see things, Lord, that uh, Lord would thrill our soul. And if there's somebody here that's never been saved, never been born again, I pray that today would be the day, Lord, that this testimony of Paul, 
Lord, becomes uh, in some ways their testimony. Lord, that they have gained Christ. They have Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'd grant it. Help me, Lord, as your preacher. Fill me with the Spirit and use me, I pray. And uh, Lord, all th- may all things be done for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, how many have ever watched a biography or uh, some kind of read maybe a read a biography or watched a uh, some kind of a documentary like an expose on a certain person, maybe an intriguing figure of history or something like that? And and uh, I know some of you maybe like to watch documentaries on people, biographical sketches and profiles and things like that. Well, in a sense, that's what we have here of Paul. Did you read that, the first couple of verses there? He's kind of given us uh, not just a resume, but kind of a biography on who he was. This text is a kind of a commentary, a biography on the Apostle Paul. He gets real personal with his readers. He's getting personal with us. He's sharing personal information. Now, if you remember on last week, he's, he's warning his readers about false religion. Do you remember what the main difference is between false religion and true religion? I'll remind you just in case. False religion, it always puts the emphasis and puts the focus and the spotlight on that which is external, that which is on the outside. Always trying to get you to conform to a certain standard or to check off uh, things on a to-do list if you're going to make it into heaven, something like that. But how many of you know that's not what true religion is? True religion is not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. God changes a man on the inside. And the difference is verse 2 and verse 3. Verse 2 is false religion. Verse 3 is true religion. And he ends verse number 3 with a mark of somebody that is truly born again, what they are basing their salvation on, basing it all on, and that is that they have no confidence in the flesh. Do you see that at the end of verse number 3? So that is going to launch Paul into talking about who he was before he met the Lord Jesus Christ. How does Paul know so much about this crowd, these Judaizers, these that that made people... Uh, and told people that they had to get circumcised if they're going to be all the way saved. That faith alone in Christ was insufficient. It was not enough. How did Paul know so much about this crowd? Well, he was one of them. That's exactly what he was. And he starts telling us about, he starts telling us about this crowd. Those that are true religion, they have no confidence in the flesh. And Paul says in verse number four, he said, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath the word of, he might trust in the flesh. I am more. Paul said, I have more. I had more. If you want to start comparing resumes, if you want to, uh, if you want to start comparing things, he said, I have more to, to put confidence in the flesh than anybody else. Paul was confident that he was in with God. He was confident he was saved, not because of what Jesus did for him, not because of God's word and by faith, but because all that Paul had accomplished in his life and he bragged on his credentials I'm not going to take time we could get bogged down in in, in talking and explaining and expounding on every one of these things but let me just look over the list again it's in verse 5 and verse 6 this is Paul's biography this is his resume if you will this is all those things that had to do with the flesh that he was trusting in he said he was circumcised the eighth day you see that verse 5 he said you want to talk about circumcision he said I wasn't some Gentile proselyte he said I wasn't somebody that had to get this thing cleared up later he said 
that not only was I circumcised, this rite of Jewishness uh, that made you a part of the people of God. You know, I mean, it got you in, right? You're circumcised, you in. You're part of the circumcision. And uh, not only was circumcised, he said, I was circumcised the eighth day. I mean, that is strict. That is right according to the law. That is the letter of the law. He said, my parents made sure that everything was right. And uh, he said that he was uh, uh, of the tribe of the stock of the Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Not only did he, know, he he was pure blood, stock of Israel. I mean, he wasn't he didn't have a daddy Gentile and a mama Jew. No, it was it was pure all the way through. He could trace his lineage all the way back to the tribe of Benjamin. You remember J- uh, uh, old, uh, uh, Jacob? He had two favorite sons. You remember who they were? Joseph was one of. Them, but who was that other favorite son? It was Benjamin, wasn't it? This was a favored son. This was a favored tribe. When God went to go get the first king for Israel, which tribe did he go to? He went to Benjamin. That's where Saul was out of. This is a, I mean, you're like kind of up on the ladder. I mean, if you're Israelite, you're up there, circumcised, you're up there. But if you're, you know, if you can, if you know which tribe you come from, if you can trace it all the way back, you're up there. But he's of the tribe of Benjamin, the kingly tribe. No. No doubt about it, I'm sure Saul was probably named after King Saul. Wouldn't you imagine that that would be the case of the tribe of Benjamin? And he talks about he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. Now, when we think about a Pharisee, uh, you know, we think of that in negative connotations. But that's not the way it started. These were people that followed the law strictly. Now, it turned in, it degenerated into a bunch of hypocrites and a bunch of prideful hypocrites when Jesus was on this earth. But to be a Pharisee puts you in an exclusive club. You are in a category that not you are breathing some rare air. Not many people got to breathe that kind of air. And they tell us that Paul probably sat on uh, the Sanhedrin and uh, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was in the top class. He was a Pharisee in the top class. And not only what did he have a position, but man, he was excited about it. He loved being it. In fact, verse number 6 says that concerning zeal, persecuting the church, listen, he was fired up. He wanted to take them Christians. He wanted to put them in jail. He wanted to kill them. He consented to the death of Stephen. All these things, man. He was. I mean, he was. He was a zealot. He was ready to stamp out any threat to their Judaism, any threat to their false religion. He was. I mean, zealous for what he believed. He wasn't. He wasn't some kind of half-hearted Jew. He wasn't a Saturday morning only Jew, if I can put it that way. I mean, he was in all the way. He was zealous about this thing. They went to church on Sabbath, all right? You know, Saturday. Some of y'all didn't get that. How many of y'all still with me say amen? amen? Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That doesn't mean he was perfect. I mean, he wasn't saying he was perfect, but he said he's pretty close. <laughs> he said nobody, they could take a magnifying glass and take the law of God and examine my life. And he said, you would not be able to pin anything on me. He said, I live clean. I lived according to the law of God. And probably not just the law of God, but every little law of man that they had come up with along the way. And man, he kept it all. He looked down on anybody that wasn't like him. He was trying to kill 
kill Christians and try to stamp out anybody that was of this way, is what he called it. And uh, man, he had the pedigree. Uh, he had the passion. I mean, he, he had the position. He had it absolutely all. Now, why would Paul spend a couple verses to brag on his credentials like this? Well, he's trying to prove that he's not speaking from a place of ignorance. Paul knows what's going on. Somebody could say, oh, well, Paul, you don't think all that's much because you don't know what you're talking about. You couldn't tell that to Paul. He knew exactly what he was talking about. Some people might try to uh, 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 smear Paul and say, well, you're speaking from a place of jealousy. You're just jealous of the position that the Jews had. Paul wasn't speaking of no pla- from no place of jealousy. He had been there. He had done that. He was dipped. I'm talking about dyed in the wool. I'm talking, he got the t-shirt, been there, done that, got the t-shirt to prove it. He had it all. He had the markings in his flesh. He could prove it all. He was not speaking from a place of jealousy. There was no reason for him to be jealous of anybody else's credentials. He was at the very top. And you say, well, Paul's bragging a little bit. Somebody said, you ain't bragging if it's true. Amen. He ain't, listen, he ain't blowing any smoke. This is absolutely right. He's not exaggerating anything. This is all where he was. But look at verse number 7. Look at verse number 7. Put your eyeballs on it. Look what it said. It starts out with the word, but. Do you see that? Oh, man, anytime you see that word, but, in the Bible, that is a conjoining word. It is joining two thoughts, but it's doing it by turning uh, turning around. It is giving you a contrast. It signals that there has been a change. Paul, has there been a change in your life? I think he would like to stand and testify and say, yes, there has been a change in my life. I used to think all that stuff was great. I used to think my tribe and my stock and my circumcision and my position and my my knowledge and all this stuff. I used to think all that was grand and all that was swell and all that made me in with God and all that made me better than everybody else. He said, but. He said, there has been a change in my life. You say, what happened to Paul? i tell you what happened to Paul. One day old Paul met Jesus, amen. Back when he was Saul. Of course, I'm going to keep calling him Paul if that's all right with y'all. Man, that's a good little rap right there. Good little rhyme. Poet and I didn't even realize it. How about that? Oh, Paul, man, he, uh, what happened to you, Paul? He would tell us this right there. Oh, one day I was on the Damascus Road just going about my business and a bright light shone round about me and I couldn't see anything but the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody else heard it, but I heard Him talk to me and I got saved one day. How many of you can relate with that change right there in your life? How many of you realize that one day God come in your life and He changed everything about you? I don't know about these people that tell me they encountered Jesus, but they still is what they was. Amen. I tell you, when Jesus comes in your life, He makes a drastic change in your life. And a lot of things changed about Paul, but one thing that especially changed about Paul was his mathematics. (laughs) His accounting. The way he numbered things. The way that he counted things. You see, when Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road that day, as smart as he was, I'm talking about studied at the feet of Gamaliel. Paul was no fool. I mean, this is a smart man. This is a genius. You understand to be a Pharisee, to be a Hebrew of the Hebrews and, and uh, be a Pharisee, you understand you had to put to memory 
the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You had to memorize it all. Paul is no fool. He is a very, very intelligent man. But do you know what he found out on that Damascus road that day? He found out that he didn't know how to count. (laughs) He found out that he was counting wrong. You see, he uses that word. Look at it. Verse number 7. He said, but what things were gained to me? He said, those I counted loss for Christ. Verse 8. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss. He says it again at the end of verse number 8. And do count them but dung. He actually uses it again in verse number 13. I count not myself to apprehend. You see, when Jesus uh, interrupted Paul's life that day and saved the pudding out of old Paul, Paul actually learned that he was counting wrong his whole life. He was adding things up wrong and things that he thought was worth a whole lot and things that he thought were really big. He found out they actually weren't worth Dung. Amen. <laughs> he actually found out they weren't worth anything. He actually found out that things that he thought was nothing and things that he despised were actually really big and things that he thought wasn't worth anything, uh, things that he thought weren't worth anything were really big and things he thought were worth everything weren't worth anything at all. Paul learned how to count when he met Jesus. That word count right there. Note that word because we're talking about gains and we're talking about losses. We're talking about accounting and we're talking about adding things up and putting it all together. You see that Paul had a, a, a ledger in his life. And everybody has a ledger in their life. Everybody has two sides of the ledger. You have what things you count as gain, what things you count as valuable, and you have on the other side of that ledger, you have things that you count as nothing and things that you count as loss. And see, Paul, all those things he mentioned in verse 5 and verse 6, all those things, they were over here in the gain category. These are important. This is what's going to get me to heaven. This is what I have confidence in. This is what life is all about. This is what it all is right here. And everything, his circumcision and his stock and his tribe and his position as a Pharisee and his zeal and all his resume and record, all that was over here in the gain category. But one day he met Jesus and Jesus outshined every bit of those things. And he realized he'd been counting wrong. He thought Jesus was worth nothing and his heritage was worth everything. And he found out that Jesus is actually worth more than you can put a number on. He's priceless. He's worth more. Listen, I don't care what you have to give up to get Jesus. He's worth more than what you could ever give up. And so Paul started switching things around on the ledger of his life. And he says in verse number 7, the things that were gain, the things that I counted as gain, he said, I switched them and I put them over here in another category and I counted them as loss. I put them in the loss category. And he said, I learned that what things were gain, I counted as loss. Why, Paul? Why in the world would you do that? Why would you take all of your heritage? Why would you take your, what your family gave you? Why would you take your education? Why would you take your diplomas and your degrees? Why would you take all that you've believed all your life and put it over in the loss category? Well, he tells us that in verse number 8. He said, it's for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. He said, just to know Jesus. That's the greatest 
greatest thing. Can I tell you this morning, man, that's the greatest thing that you'll ever have in your whole life. Listen, it's worth more than a billion dollars. It's worth more than a trillion dollars. Hey, man, I'm, when I got Jesus, man, this is good to be saved. Amen. When I got Jesus, it's better than being a millionaire. It's better than being a billionaire. Praise God, I'm a joint heir. Amen. I'm a joint heir with Christ. Man, you got everything when you got Jesus. And Paul got a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ that day. And he realized that he is the greatest thing in the whole wide world. To know him is the greatest knowledge in all the world. You may know that you've been circumcised. You may know what stock you're from. You might know what tribe you're from. You might know all five, uh, uh, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. You might know all them things. But Jesus is greater than all of those things. And he said, I counted. I put all those things in the lost category because I want Christ. That I may win Christ. That I may gain Christ. And if you got Jesus... Listen, it don't matter what you don't have. Amen. And if you don't have Jesus, it don't matter what you do have. Amen. He is the only thing that matters. Uh, that is it, my friend. It is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all about knowing Him. You can be a success in the eyes of this world. You can be famous. You can be popular. You can be educated. You can be, uh, uh, you can be wealthy. You can have everything this world counts as a success. But if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have absolutely nothing. And I ain't talking about knowing about Him. I'm talking about knowing Him. I'm talking about being related to Him. I'm talking about an intimate knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know Him this morning? Say amen. Not just know about Him. It ain't just that I know that He lived and I know that He died and I know that He got up on the third day. It's that He's living inside of me right now. I wasn't on the Damascus Road, but thank God one one day I met him and it changed my life. And it changed my mathematics. Amen. It changed the way I counted things. Everything's upside down. You know, this world is crazy, the things they think are important. How many of y'all ever played Monopoly? That's a good six hours of your life right there. You'll never get back. Monopoly. Man, you can have. Have you ever been rich in Monopoly? Man, I. I played that game and I've had hotels and railroads and I mean all kind of stuff. I mean you can't really go around the board without paying me some money. I've had money coming out coming out my ears. I mean just all over the place. But how many of you know that uh, when the game's over that don't mean anything. I still had $4.73 at BB&T that I did before I started. The... Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm telling you what this world is. And, and listen, we're all, we're all stuck at the table right now in this Monopoly game. <laughs> Every one of us. One day, we're going, one day it's going to end. This whole thing's going to wrap up and it'll be over. But right now we're all stuck. And what we're listening to, all these people say, oh, I got it together and I have this and I have that. They're just Monopoly rich is all they are. That's all they have. Well, they got hotels and, and railroads and, and whatever, you know, and get out of jail free cards and all that kind of And they think, man, they think they're everything and all that. And they're putting all their confidence, all their hope. But the game doesn't last forever. One day it will be over. And I thank God one day He opened my eyes and made me realize this life ain't what it's all about. Amen. And these people boasting and bragging. Yeah, the wicked, they puff out their chest and they think they got it all together. And they think that they're 
winning in life. But what they don't realize is one day the game's going to end. One day when somebody runs out of money, this whole thing is over and you're going to have to stand face to face before God with actual reality. And the only currency that is recognized in the gates of heaven is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't care about your church membership, your baptism, all your good deeds, everything you've ever done. The only thing that will buy you anything in heaven is the righteousness of God. If you ain't got that, you don't have anything. If you don't know Him, you don't have anything. To know Christ is the greatest treasure that you could ever possess. And when Paul subtracted the things that he was trusting in, he began to be blessed and added. He was added the things that only Christ can give. Let me show you three things real quick. That was pretty much the message, but I'll give you these three little thoughts here and we'll go home. What did Paul get? What did he add when he subtracted? What did he add? What was added to Paul's life when he subtracted all of his credentials? Number one, he got a fortress that saves. A fortress that saves. Look at verse number nine. Do you see that? It says, and be, and I want you to underline this right here, found in him found in Him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. Paul says that knowing Christ, when you get to know Him, when you come to Him by faith and you get to know Him, guess what He does with you? He puts you in Christ. Paul says, now when God looks for me and God looks at me, I'm not found in anything else but the Lord Jesus Christ. When you got saved, He picked you up and He put you in Christ. And that's the greatest news you'll ever hear. And let me tell you why. Because your righteousness, that righteousness which is of the law that he talks about. Can I tell you what God thinks of it? Just a bunch of filthy rags is all it is. You know what God wants? The only way you'll get into heaven, you know what you have to have? You have to have the perfect righteousness of God. That is the only righteousness that He will accept in heaven. You have to have God's righteousness. You have to have perfect righteousness. I don't have it. In fact, I'm a mess. Man, I'm a sinner. Man, I'm a failure. Man, I've been disfigured by, the, by Adam's fall. I'm a part of Adam's race. I, I'm all messed up. I'm t- I'm, I, I mean, I, there ain't nothing good about me. There's none good. No, not one. Man, I'm all messed up. I'm guilty before God. But when I met Jesus, He picked me up and He put me in Himself. And now when God looks at me, He doesn't see me. He sees the perfect, spotless record and righteousness of the Son of God. You say, how did you get that? By faith. That's what He said right there. I just put my faith and trust in Jesus and He put me in Himself. Now that is something right there. Amen. This righteousness, it only comes by faith. It's not achieved, it's received. Amen. You have to receive it. And when Paul subtracted his righteousness, he got God's righteousness. The righteousness which of God, which by the way is perfection, right? I mean, it's absolutely perfect. And I am 
We just, they sang a little bit of, there's a little phrase in that song they sang a minute ago. I'm robed in his righteousness. I'm covered in his righteousness. I am in him. His righteousness encloses me and it covers me. It is a fortress that saves me. What did Paul get when he decided to chunk all his works, when he decided to chunk all his resume, when he decided to chunk all his good deeds? What did he get? He got the righteousness of God. He found Christ to be a fortress that saves. Not only did he f- was added a fortress that saves, but secondly, he found that it was added to him a fellowship that sanctifies. That's in verse number 10. I love verse 10. He said that I may know him. How about that? Paul, I thought, I thought you already know him. I thought you met him on the Damascus Road. He said, but I I still want to know him. He wasn't satisfied with just a meet and greet with Jesus. When he got saved, you know what was added to him? It was added to him a sweet privilege of fellowship with God. Fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you don't get that staring and being proud of all your own works and all your own righteousness. God don't come within a million miles of that. That repulses him. It smells. It's filthy rags. It's dung. It's refuse. He don't come within a million miles of that. But I tell you what you get when you get saved. Not only do you get saved and and, and you're in Christ, but I tell you what you find. You find that there's a fellowship. There's a friendship. There's a companionship. And Paul said just walking with Jesus and knowing Jesus, it's worth... You know what Paul gave up? He gave up so much. He gave up his whole life. He gave up a career. He gave up all the respect that he had earned and, and all the everything that he had. He gave it all up. Paul, why would you give it up? He said, fellowship with Christ, knowing that Jesus that saved me, walking with Him, fellowshipping with Him, it's the best thing in the whole wide world. And by giving up, he said, I didn't give up anything. I gained everything. When I got Jesus, I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection. I want to know that re- that's a sanctifying power. That's power over sin. I want to know that power that He gives, the fellowship of His suffering. Paul is pursuing holiness. He wants to be like Jesus. He said, Lord, if you got to put me through suffering, if you got to put me through hard times, listen, as long as you're there with me, as long as you're there to fellowship with me, as long as it's making me like you, I'll be conformable to your death. I just want to be with you. I don't care if they're stoning me. I don't care if they're cussing me. I don't care if they're running me out of town. As long as I got you, that's all I need. And I tell you, fellowship with Christ, that's the greatest thing in the whole wide world. You ain't lose whatever you have to give, whatever friends you gotta give up, whatever money you gotta give up, whatever listen, you ain't giving up nothing. Knowing G listen, if you if you listen, if you're playing footsie and, and you're you're in a in, in fellowship and relationship with this world, you just don't know how good Jesus is. Amen. Listen, Jesus surpasses, he outshines them all. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. He's the best thing that could ever happen in your life and he's worth not only meeting in salvation but he's worth pursuing and letting him sink that fellowship listen when you start walking with Jesus it'll change your life you can't stay the same you'll start being like him amen you, you start you start being conformed like him the more you hang around that person the more you'll be like be like them amen you start knowing Him. You start fellowshipping with Him. It'll start cleaning you up. It'll start sanctifying your life. It'll start getting all the impurities out of your life. And you just want to be with Him. And you want to be like Him. 
And that's what you get. You can say, I don't care what you have to give up. It's good. That fellowship is worth it all. Amen. Amen. You remember, some of you, is a long time ago, but you remember when you married your spouse? Remember when you got married? You got married because you weren't satisfied with the, the way the relationship was. You weren't satisfied with where it was. You wanted to take it to the next level. You wanted more intimate knowledge, living and dwelling and being with that person. You're probably willing to give up some things, turn your back on some things, but it didn't seem like anything at all, did it? Because the love, old Jacob made me work, had to work 14 years for the pretty one. <laughs> Seven years to get you an ugly one, 14 years to get you a pretty one. You want to know what the going rate is, Bible days, going rate was. <clears throat> but it said, you know what? It seemed to him, but what? He said, just seemed like a day. Just like working a day. Because he was in love. Some of y'all don't even remember what that is. Y'all, y'all don't remember what that is. He was in love. And it just seemed just like a day. Just like a day. It didn't seem like nothing at all. Wasn't giving up anything. That's how you can tell if you're really in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're head over heels in love with Jesus, you're willing to give up about everything. Anything. It don't seem like, and it's not a sacrifice. And it's not a big deal because he's the biggest deal that ever has been in your life. He's the biggest deal. How valuable is Christ to you? What's he worth to you? What's Jesus worth to you? Something's only worth what you're willing to pay for it. Amen. The devil offered Jesus the kingdom. He said, I, if, I'll give you every kingdom in this world. I'll give you the whole wide world if I could just have you. You bow down to me. Isn't it amazing the devil knew what Jesus was worth? And we got some people in here you call Christians, people listening online, people in our churches today. They call themselves Christians. They ain't willing to give up the world for Jesus. That's really sad, the price tag. That's really sad, the estimation you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Man. You think he'd be worth more. To Paul, he was worth everything. He said, beat me, flog me, stone me, kill me, whatever you want to do. I don't care. I just want to be with him. I just want to know him. I just want whatever he has for me. When's the last time you put something into that subtraction column? so that you could win Christ, gain Christ. I know we're saved. I'm talking about in fellowship. When's the last time you say, you know what, I'm going to... So, well, you know, preacher, I only have... I, I, I'm busy. We got, listen, everybody's got 24 hours in the day. Everybody does. And the way you spend that time, it, choose, it, it shows your priorities. Amen. Everybody's got the same amount of time. If you want to know Christ, He's knowable. If you want to walk with Christ, He's available. If you want to learn Christ, He's teachable. He'll teach you. He'll spend time with you. Isn't that amazing? Hmm. Paul said, I want to know Him. I want to know Him. He said, I'll put anything I have to. I'll put my own life, my own health, my own comfort. He said, I'm not worried about being comfortable. He said, I want to be conformable. I'll put my own life, my own pleasure, my own plans. I'll put them all in the subtraction column. Just, I want to know Him. I want to know Him. I want to walk with Him.
When he put that in the subtraction column, you know what he found? He found Jesus to be a fortress that saves. He found him to be a friend that sanctifies, a fellowship that sanctifies. Look at verse number 11, and I'm done. Show you what else that he found. He found a future that sustains. Verse number 11, he said, If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. That was the ultimate goal. To be exactly like Jesus in a glorified body. To be raised from the dead. And by the way, he's not, when he says if by any means, that's not to throw doubt on it. That's not, he's not saying, well, I might be resurrected and I might not. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm not. That's not what he said. This is a, it's a term of humility. He was being humble. He's saying there's only one way. He said, I, I can't do it in myself. I'm not going to, I can't save myself. I can't raise myself from the dead. I can't put myself in heaven. I can't give myself a glorified body. Jesus is the only means. He's the only way. It's a term of humility. I'm telling you what you get. Now, don't get too excited here, but I'll tell you what you get when you get Jesus. You get a future that lasts. Can I tell you this whole world? You know what? You know what they've traded Christ for? You know what they traded Christ for? An eternity in hell. That's what they get. Now, they think it's the pleasures and everything they get right now, but what shall it profit a man? What profit is there? If you were to gain the whole world and lose your own soul, there's no profit in that. There's no gain in that. But man, there's been many disciples denied themselves, took up a cross, followed Jesus. They didn't have much in this life. But Jesus said, this ain't where the payday's at. Payday's in the next life. One day we're going to be living in glorified bodies all around the throne of God, shouting and singing the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be glad. All those things you struggled with, all those things that were tempting you, all those things that tried to outdo and compete with your, for your affection against the Lord Jesus, all that stuff will be a distant memory. It won't even matter. All those things won't even matter one bit. We'll be so enamored and... and and just raptured up in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to be that way. You can love them now. You can give everything out. You can, you can live for them now. Is he worth it to you? Is knowing him, is walking with him, fellowship with him, is all that, is it worth it? If you're in here and you've never been saved, really, you're going you're gonna, to... You're gonna, Count all these things that are keeping you. Those are gain. That's what's gain. That's what's real. I'll tell you, it's monopoly money. It's, it's, there's going to be one point in time, the thing's over, and it won't even matter who won, who lost, who had the biggest hotels, who owned the railroads. It won't even matter one bit knowing Christ. Why is it valuable? It's, the, it's eternally valuable. It's all about knowing Jesus. Miss Maddie, you can come around to the piano. Paul learned addition by subtraction. He got rid of all those things in his life that he was trusting in. But look at all that he got. Look at all that was added. Isn't that what Jesus said? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what did he say? All these things will be what? Added unto you. He said it will be gain. Listen, the Lord will be a debtor to no man. We're not going to get to the end of this thing and, and think, well, I don't know if it was worth it to follow Jesus. 
I don't know if it was worth it to be saved. No, we'll get to the end of this thing and we will be glad that we made them our choice. There's a Bible account that, that gives a record of a man who made a different decision, didn't he? We call him the rich, young ruler. And the things that were in his gain column, he kept them in his gain column. And the things that were in his loss column, he kept them in his loss column. And he went away sorrowful. He never would put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And his counting was all messed up. He couldn't see. He couldn't add it all up. He couldn't account it. He couldn't reckon it all together. He couldn't figure it all up and see that knowing Jesus and having Him and loving Him was far more valuable than everything that that young, young man owned. He looked at his possessions and he looked at Jesus and he said, what I own is more valuable than knowing Christ. And can I tell you, that assessment is made every day. Some of you, you've made that assessment in here. Your sin, your pleasure, your fun, your friends, they're more important than knowing Jesus. Look up here. You're wrong. You're absolutely 1,000% wrong. And one day, you'll learn to count. Don't let it be after you die. Because every knee will bow and they will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's gonna, there, everybody in eternity knows how to count. Everybody that kneels in front of God, they've learned weight. He is supremely valuable. But they realized it too late. Don't wait till you die to learn how to